I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Honestly, one of the thrills of every week that I have is saying those words that I just said. Open your Bibles, because I believe that this book holds everything that we need for life and godliness. So may we give our lives to studying it. This morning, we're going to be talking about transitions. Transitions in life can be quite unsettling, even scary. You can probably think back on your life and think of transitions that fell in those categories. You're moving from the familiar to the new. Um, some people thrive on that. Most don't. I remember when I graduated high school and I was going off to college, really the first time I ever left my family. I was moving six hours away from Atlanta, Georgia to Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Got some Tar Heels in the house, I know, but I cried when I got to Chapel Hill and my mom was dropping me off and leaving. I cried on that. I did not handle that transition well. Uh, Sometime, I think another massive major transition was uh, going from being a single man to being married to the love of my life. And uh, even though there were uh, great, uh, great joys in that, it, there's challenges. There's always challenges in transition. I think she had the greater challenges for sure uh, than I did. Uh, I think of the transition of when we uh, were. We followed God's call to be missionaries uh, and to leave the United States, uh, not just for a holiday or something, but to live and thinking of how many transitions there were in that, um, in that uh, part of our life. Transitions of location, translate, uh, transitions of emphasis in our ministry. There is just uh, lots of change. So transitions in life... You don't have to live a missionary, somewhat um, chaotic life, uh, all, all life. There's going to be transition. It's inevitable. Some of those changes are that you, things you choose. Other transitions are sort of thrust upon you, and you have to respond. Uh, what makes the difference, though, in these transitions is how you transition and why you transition, why you go through that, and, and, and the way you go about it, because they're going to come. So how are you going to do it? Well, today is a transition Sunday for One City Church. Sort of on a surface level, new time, we're finally back in uh, this room again, uh, we're not bouncing around, God willing, that we'll be here for a while. COVID won't shut things down again. So that's sort of a surface level. But we're also transitioning into the future of our church, rejoicing at new faces um, that God is bringing, but also honestly mourning those who aren't here. And for those of you who... This is kind of new information. We, had, we sent out a letter, the elders sent out a letter a couple weeks ago, and several families that were very beloved and very uh, important to the life of our church are no longer here, and we're grieving that. And we want to 
acknowledge that, not only right now, but also in our meeting afterwards. But we're transitioning. Who One City Church is, is going to be different. There will be some changes in what we're going to be focusing on. There's going to be changes in the ministries that we are uh, going to be able to uh, advance uh, or carry out because of our, the number of people who are here has changed. However, and I've said this over the last couple of weeks as I've reached out to different families, at the core of who we are, nothing's changed. In fact, as I study the scripture, and I've said this to a number of you over the last couple of weeks, as I study the scripture and see what does the word of God say that the church needs to be about, everything that scripture says we can do right now. No change in that sense. Now, we may not be able to do what we did, we're able to do in February. We may not be able to do and offer the things that people typically associate with church in North America. But everything that the scripture tells us that we can do, we can fellowship, we can baptize, we can study the apostles' doctrine, we can pray, we can uh, take the Lord's Supper, we can do all of these things. And that's what faithfulness, I believe, looks like, particularly in this season. So the text that we're looking at in Ephesians chapter 4 is a challenge to us, I believe, to transition in how we handle life as a Christian. So what's happening at One City Church could be just sort of a microcosm of what happens in life as a Christian. So before we jump into these couple verses, we're going to be looking at verses 15 and 16 of Ephesians chapter 4. Let me give you a quick summary of Paul's letter up to this point. First three chapters of Ephesians, Paul has been laying out true doctrine. And that doctrine is essentially saying this, what has God done for us in Christ? What has he done for us? All spiritual blessings are in Christ, chapter 1. The implications stretch from eternity past into the present and into eternity uh, future. But all those blessings that we have are tied up. By us being in Christ. He talks about salvation being a gracious gift of God that's not earned or merited. It is simply received by faith. See that in chapter 2. Chapters 2 and 3, second half of chapter 2 and all of chapter 3, uh, Paul lays out the doctrine that we are united, that salvation includes uniting us with a diverse family. and calls us to unite around Jesus, who he calls the mysterion transliterated into our language, the mystery. We talked about this a while. It's, more, it's not like mystery, like murder she wrote or something like that, that you try to figure out a mystery. Jesus, the mysterion, is like the surprise. It's the that God brought into human history. And so that is that mysterion, Jesus, is who we unite around in all of our diversity. So starting in chapter 4... Paul points, I'm sorry, he pivots from doctrine, chapters 1 to 3, to duty. What, not talking anymore about what God has done for us in Christ, but rather how we are to live relying upon all that God has done for us in Christ. And so for the past couple months, we've been unpacking what he says in chapter 4, 
verse 1 when he says, uh, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. We've been unpacking. What does it mean to walk in a manner worthy? Part of our ability to walk in a manner worthy is the giftedness that the ascended Jesus Christ gave to his church, the giftedness. And so we see in chapter 4, verse 7, that all Christians, says, but grace was given to each one of you. All Christians are gifted, are given gifts of grace, which are used to serve the common good. Now we get that from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but the, the truth is both there and here in Ephesians chapter 4, that all Christians have been given a gift of grace by the ascended Jesus. Verse 11, we see that leaders are given by the ascended Christ to the church in order to equip the saints for works of ministry, works of service. Now, cover this the last couple weeks. It's important to remember because this idea of what equipping the saints is uh, There's some disagreement on that, honestly. But here's my understanding of what it means, and I'll tell you why. Equipping the saints primarily means giving Christians a biblical understanding of reality. I don't think equipping the saints means teaching them how to lead a Bible study or how to lead a small group, or how to even share your faith. Those are are not bad things. But I want to make the case that equipping the saints is teaching Christians how to view reality biblically. It's giving Christians a worldview that puts Christ and his kingdom and its values as preeminent over anything else in this world. Now let me show you why I say that. Because in verse 11 it says, He gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the works of ministry, all right? But look at what equipping the saints for works of ministry actually accomplishes. It says, For building up the body of Christ till we all attain Unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried around by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. So you see, those things are out there. Those things are trying to capture us and mislead us. And so Christians need to be equipped with a biblical worldview and we need solid doctrinal grounding that allows believers, saints, to walk worthy and minister without being tossed to and fro, deceived, have human cunning lead you away. How many people, just by show of hands, know somebody who was walking in faithfulness at one time in their life and they met somebody, maybe someone with a charismatic personality or with a a degree or something like that, and by human cunning, they have been pulled away from the truth. By show of hands, anybody? I think most of us have. 
Now, here's the good news that God is sovereign over that and he will bring his people back in his ways. We believe in the perseverance of the saints, but it is those seasons of life that sometimes often are the most painful for family members and actually create a lot of pain for the wayward Christian. So doctrinal grounding is important. That's why we don't shy away from teaching doctrine here at One City. We feel like it's essential. I remember reading a study some years back when I was a youth pastor and it talked about, it was a study of uh, Christians who'd gone off to college and the kids who fell away from the Lord versus the kids who... um, who maintained their faith through college, but then after college went on with it. And uh, they did an exhaustive study, and I remember being impacted that one of the main differences is that the kids who stayed were discipled. They had adults pour into their lives and teach them about reality from a biblical worldview. The kids who grew up in the fun youth groups where they were entertained and there was lots of, you know, marshmallow, chubby bunny games and things like that. I don't don't even know they do that anymore, but we used to do that. Those kids oftentimes were the ones who were picked off when they went off to college. Right now in the kids' ministry, from age 5 through 10, I don't know what time kid, what age kids' ministry, they're teaching them doctrine right now downstairs, teaching them through the gospel project. Wonderful. So that's a little bit of a backdrop. This is going to be a short sermon, I promise, because we're going to be eating pizza in 15 minutes. So let's jump into verse 15 and 16. All of that was intro. Verse 15, rather, that's a transition word, rather speaking the truth in love We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I have three main points. It's going to be surrounded uh, by the three words that are repeated in this, three key words that are repeated in these two verses. But it starts off with the word rather. Some versions use the word but, but it's a transition word. It sets a contrast with everything that's come before, things that they are to avoid, the being uh, swayed by human cunning and being deceived and being tossed by the waves of false doctrine. So the things we want to avoid to the things we want to pursue. Rather, now in studying the text, there's three words in these two sentences, it's really one sentence, these two verses, that get repeated. Repeated words, when you're studying the Bible, when you see words repeated, it's important. Make note of it. That's a Bible study principle. How many parents have ever said to your kids, don't make me repeat myself? Because you want your kids to know, this is important. It's so important, I will repeat myself. And if I repeat myself, it's also going to come with, like we said in Georgia, whooping. But these are repeated words. The words grow, the words body, and, and the word love. These are our three main points. 
And what they constitute is the action, the context, and the motivation that we should take as followers of Christ. So let's look at the word grow. This is the action. If a child doesn't grow, parents rightly ought to be concerned. And they go to the doctors and say, what's wrong? My child's not growing. But it's equally concerning when a child, we see our child growing in the wrong way, in an unhealthy way, or maybe not physically, but when we see relationally, they're growing in the wrong direction. Well, God's design is for people to grow, for Christians to grow, to advance. We're not supposed to stay in the same place. The Bible talks of us of uh, starting drinking milk, but moving to the meat of the word. Talks about being a babe in Christ, but we want to be fully mature. God, we are to grow. Well, in this passage, these two verses, the only two verbs in the original language have to do with growing. The first one is that we are to grow in every way into Christ. To grow into Christ. That's the verb in that sentence. But then the second one, we see that at the very end there of verse 16, that we are to grow strong by serving one another. So let's look at those two, growing into Christ. I see this as synonymous as worship in the context of community. Paul, in this letter and in many other letters also, talks about who Jesus Christ is. It is critically important to know who Jesus is. If you get Jesus wrong, you can get everything else right, and you lose your soul. So Paul talks much of Christ. Jesus himself, on the road to Emmaus, opened up, it says, Starting with Moses, that's the first five books of the Bible, and all the prophets, he explained to those two disciples, by the way, who didn't recognize him, everything concerning himself in all the scriptures. So we want to know who Christ is, but this is not just an academic exercise. It provides, knowing who Christ is, provides the North Star for Christians, Right? You're, you're lost at sea. Everything's dark. But if you can see the North Star, a trained seaman can navigate to land. Jesus is our North Star. That's why we want to know him. And we should not allow others, one another to be persuaded to pursue other things. You see, Paul says that we are to grow into Christ. Like a tree that grows towards the light of the sun, we want the truth of Christ to be so clearly seen, not only from the pulpit, but in the way we talk to one another, that we all grow into him. Right? We were hiking the other day over in York County, and we were along this riverbank, and there were just it was just a, like a really dense forest. I don't know if you've ever been to Muddy Creek Hike. It's an amazing hike. Actually, I probably shouldn't have told them because we don't want other people to go there because you can go there and walk for hours and not see anyone else. It's not called Muddy Creek, I promise you. But there are some, it's so dense, there are some trees that had to grow sideways before they could grow up. Because a tree will always go towards the light. And we want, to, we want to 
preach and teach Christ to one another so clearly that we grow up into him. But secondly, we want to grow strong by serving one another. And I see this as discipleship in community. Going off of what he said earlier in this chapter, since God has gifted each of us, each of his children, we all have a part to play. We all have a part to play in the growth of the church. And the primary use of our giftedness is to build one another up, to build up the church. This idea of using your gift for yourself or just between you and God is not biblical point of view. This involves the entire church when you show up, not just here, but when you're together, being on call. When you come to church, are you on call? Are you looking for ways to serve? Are you looking for weaknesses, insecurities? Are you looking for people who are staying on the fringes, trying to avoid being known? That ought to be a symbol to us that something is amiss. Do we come with the attitude of saying, I want to be part of the solution to this broken world? You see, we all come in broken, all of us. Now, I have to stand up here, but I'm as broken as anybody in this room. When we come in, are we coming in with the attitude of, I can be part of the solution because God's gifted me. And I'm going to use this gift. This means that this, we don't believe and we don't practice passive Christianity where we just show up to get, get, get. We want to be active in our faith, looking to serve. So that's the first Point, grow. The second point is, is the, the word that is repeated is this idea of us being a body. This is the context. This is the context of our growth. The body of Christ is Paul's favorite metaphor for the church. He uses it in other letters, but he uses it six times in the book of Ephesians. And really the point of the body of Christ metaphor is simply to say that we are interconnected. If you do not see yourself as interconnected with other Christians, there is a problem. Just as we see ourselves connected to the head, Jesus, right? Like no Christian is going to say, yeah, I don't need Jesus. I mean, maybe some would call themselves a Christian, but that's not true, right? But oftentimes, we people live their life saying, I want to be connected to Jesus, the head of the body, but I don't really care about the rest of the body. Imagine how deformed that body would look. You're the hand, and it's just you straight up to the head. Nothing else. Is that a fully functioning body? No. The metaphor breaks down. We need the entire body. I remember when I was in seventh grade, I was in a snow skiing accident, and I tore my ACL. Back then, they didn't have, uh, they didn't have the um, surgery procedures that could get you back on your feet within a matter of days or weeks. Three months, I was in a brace on crutches. Three months. My, when I was done with that three months and I took that brace off, this leg looked normal. This one looked like a pencil. It was 
horrible. I mean, actually, the opposite one was like bigger than normal because it had compensated for the one that was wounded. But in time, as healing took place in therapy, my injured leg began to be restored. And the point is, is that when in a body one part is hurt, the other parts compensate. That's the way bodies work, and that's the way it ought to work in the body of Christ. But since the beginning, Christians have really struggled with this idea of being interconnected with each other. So in 1 Corinthians 12, it's so blatant that Paul had to tell them, listen, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I have no need of you. They were doing that. They were to the end, you know what? Glad you're here. Don't talk to me. I don't need you. Well, the church doesn't function well when we want to live independent of one another. It works against God's design. And here's the purpose. Because if you try to live your life independent, and you can, right? You're free to choose. You can choose to go against God's design. But you'll never be forced to work through conflict. That's a major life skill that we ought to be working through in the local church. But also you won't be able to enjoy the fruitfulness of working side by side with people who have different gifts than you do. Seeing the kingdom of God advance. But most importantly, I think we need to remember that we're all preceded and we're all connected to the head, Jesus. And when Jesus sees his body trying to live independent, I don't think it glorifies him. I don't think it brings joy to him. So that's the second point, that we're a body. And then the last one is the motivation, which is to be love. Twice he says, we are to, love is to be the motivation. Verse 15, it says, speaking the truth in love. And then there, right there at the end, that we are to build ourselves up in love. Our motivation is critical. Many of us can point, and I can look at some of you in this room, and you've shared your story with me, that you've been part of churches where the motivation for change was not love. That's not the way they communicated. Fear, yeah, sometimes. Shame, yeah, they could use that one. Self-righteousness, mm-hmm. People-pleasing, ambition, those ways, those can be motivation. But none of those ultimately give life. Love gives life. Now, sometimes in loving someone, we have to have hard conversations. Sometimes people are toying with sin. Sometimes people are believing false lies and bad doctrine. And God calls us to speak into those situations in love. Speaking the truth in love. But what is love? I think love is self-giving. And love is primarily being for the benefit of the other. It's a self-giving expression that benefits someone else. And Jesus is the ultimate example of God who is love. So is that the motivation? I want to say, and talk a little bit about this in our meeting. And Bill, I want to invite you to come up and lead us in our last song. That 
The last six months have been really hard on me. But I want to say thank you to the ones who have chosen to love me and to show me how I have hurt them and have shown me where I have made missteps in leading this church. And rather than leaving, have said, Alec, I will lean in. And I, I can't tell you how much that means to me because I'm as broken as the next guy. And whether you're watching from home or whether you're in this room, we, we are one city church. We are the body of Christ. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Do we believe that? I believe that. So as a church in transition, let's remember that Jesus is still building us. Let's remember he's building us in his way. And it may be that he's taken us through some valleys, but there will be the other side. And how and why we go through this transition is going to make all the difference. So let me pray. And what are we singing, Bill? Chorus or two, part of the last song we just sang, Christ is mine, Christ is ours. Christ is ours. So why don't you stand up? You can turn on your phones to get the lyrics. And as I say amen, Bill is going to lead us in our closing song. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of this word that we are.